0: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
1: This podcast contains explicit language.
2: Hello and welcome to So That Happened, the HuffPost politics podcast about affairs of state and current events. I'm Arthur Delaney and I'm joined in studio by my colleague Elise Foley. Hey. Hey. And we're very pleased to have over the phone, Jamel Bowie, Chief Political Correspondent for Slate.com. Jamel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what has happened since last week's episode? Nazis and the KKK marched in the streets of Charlottesville and murdered a lady. And in the wake of this racist terrorist attack, the President of the United States said there were nice people among the Nazis... And the KKK. So Jamel Bowie, you pointed out in a recent column at Slate that this is who Trump is, that uh, this is what he's always been. So what has changed? Because the events since the Saturday uh, attack really have felt like a watershed, like we're in a, a new territory here.
3: I think two things can be true at the same time, right, that this is always who Trump has been, that you don't have to, there's, there's a lot of documentary evidence from Trump's statements in the past to his campaign uh, mm-hmm. to show his sympathies. But I think what makes the response to Charlottesville on Saturday and then Tuesday's press conference so distinctive and so upsetting to a lot of people is that it was so unvarnished, um, that there is not even a pretense uh, to the idea that, um, that the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists were unambiguously bad. Um, and I think Trump's unwillingness to voice those pieties, to play the game uh, as, as we all recognize it, is what really unsettled people. Um, because it suggests not just an indifference to sort of broad public opinion and uh, and such, but it suggests an indifference to what actually happened on Saturday, which is that, as you said, someone was killed.
4: So I this is something I've been thinking about. Do you think that there's anything good that could come of him going out there and saying this stuff that even more so reveals sort of who he is and what he thinks about things? Obviously, on the one hand, it's you know, potentially emboldening these people who have these views. But on the other hand, I mean, maybe it's revealing to some people who weren't paying enough attention before that this is who our president is. I, I don't know. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I, I don't. The, the last poll I saw of all of this was that something like 67% of Republicans um, thought Trump did a good job with his statements on Charlottesville. So if the hope, if there's any hope that, this uh, would cause some Republicans uh, to budge away from the president, then I think that is probably uh, misplaced. And the people who would be most offended or troubled by this, I think have already reached their breaking point before. So I'm not sure that this moves the ball or, or changes how people think of the president It probably just uh, solidifies them. Uh, I So, you know, during the Obama years, there were uh, quite a few pundits who pointed to one thing or another as Obama's, quote, Katrina moment. And I think the <laughs> general consensus was that those comparisons were facile and, and dumb. Um, but if you want to use that term in sort of a smarter way, um, what a Katrina moment is, is a moment in a presidency that sort of reveals um, the essential nature of that presidency and confirms the worst... Uh, the worst. Um, Beliefs, thoughts, uh, assessments of that presidency, and so for for W, Katrina showed his incompetence, showed his indifference, so on and so forth. I think there's a fair case to make that this is Trump's Katrina moment, right? It's a moment that kind of rips away for everyone to see who the man really is in the inside, uh, if you didn't already, if you couldn't already glimpse it, and and confirms for 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 final, you know, for finality. That the president we have is a president who, uh, at best, is sympathetic to white supremacists.
2: That's a great point. Trump launched his political career—you know, the, the recent iteration of it that, that landed him in the presidency—with like the most depraved lie possible: that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. But then we've constantly said, "Well, he'll—you know—he'll learn on the job. He'll have good people around him." And even in the last few weeks. So many people have been willing to say, well, his new chief of staff will professionalize the operation. And then everyone got to see that man, John Kelly, staring at the floor, immiserated while Trump was lauding Nazis in the KKK. Uh, So, Jamel, another thing you wrote about this is that the moment has shown the strength of the white power movement because these people were willing to march – you know, without hoods covering their faces, they were willing to attack people, uh, be on camera. You know, boldly declare that they want a white ethno state. Uh, you, do you think, though, that with all the outrage and condemnation and Confederate statues being taken down, that something like Charlottesville could happen again? You know, even even without the question of how police handle it, are are is are they really going to be that emboldened in the wake of the uh, reaction to this?
3: That's a good question. And I'm not entirely sure. I think that we're sort of, there's two competing forces at work here. The first is that clearly something has changed in American culture broadly, even as most Americans, as far as I can tell, don't support Taking down Confederate monuments—a substantial minority do something, um, something in the high thirties, possibly even uh, you know the low forties—and that is new. That's unprecedented. That hasn't existed before, and it includes um, uh, non-white Americans and, and white Americans. And so you have this drive to take down statues to begin rethinking American public memory in a really serious way, and that's naturally going to create a backlash. I think what's distinctive about this backlash is that um, the the backlashers can credibly, credibly claim to have the support of of the highest reaches of American government, and so that 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 fact emboldens them and makes it more likely that they act in the open. So going forward, I kind of expect there to be continued efforts to take down Confederate memorials and then continued quite bold responses from um, organized white supremacists. Yesterday, uh, the Virginia Republican candidate for governor at Gillespie uh, gave a statement where he said essentially that he uh, opposes taking them the monuments, but maybe we should consider recontextualizing, some, recontextualizing them in some way. The mayor of Richmond in um, Richmond has this avenue called Monument Avenue, which is a um, pretty much sort of a, you know, full of these monuments, it's like the death star of these monuments. Um, The mayor of Richmond, who has previously taken that similar line, uh, responded by saying, "Uh, on second thought, we're going to look into removing them ourselves. So if Richmond decides to move on this, and Richmond, the former capital of the Confederacy, um, that has uh, a popular, a lot of people in that area still really value and sort of revere those uh, those Confederate memorials, I have to expect that we'll see something like we saw in Charlottesville, and possibly to an even greater extent.
2: I wanted to throw something out there: the alt right movement, as it likes to call itself. You know, it's really a, a white power movement. Has really been fueled by the internet, by irony, memes. You know, Pepe the Frog, and the ability to say we're just in it for the laughs, uh, we're just trolling. It's ironic, but a, a writer for the Baffler pointed out very rightly, I think, that the irony has been permanently shorn from white power. The irony that it had had in the in the past two years, and there's even a video of, of some kid uh, at at the rally on Saturday. Pulling his shirt off and saying, you know, I thought this was funny, but now I've had the crap scared out of me. Uh, d- don't you think that'll take some of their momentum? Also the fact that their websites are being taken down left and right.
3: Right. I tend to think that the the, the effort against their infrastructure by um, technology companies is going to have a bigger impact than um, some of these uh, kids, young men, young adults uh, kind of – Jettisoning, jettisoning the whole thing when they realize that it's actually quite serious. You know, one thing that's interesting about the uh, the I'll just use the old right use the term is their use of memes and um, and humor and irony is often cited as a reason why they're unique. Um, but there was a great piece in BuzzFeed recently uh, that was an extended interview with a scholar of the Ku Klux Klan, and I, and I've read quite a bit on the Klan as well. And one thing the uh, scholar makes clear is that the original iteration of the Klan in the 1860s and 70s basically did the same thing. You know, what else uh, are the silly names and silly costumes, but kind of a 19th century version of, of memes and ironic humor? Um, and I had that- not heard
2: that. I did not know that. <laughs> I mean, is that why they're called the Ku Klux? Is that why they wear hoods and look ridiculous? Seriously?
3: Seriously, I mean, it was the Ku Klux is was just it's just sort of a nonsense, all, alliterative, uh, you know, phrase.
2: And and the, um, and, the, and the Know Nothing Party, I guess, deliberately called itself the Know Nothing Party as though, you know, we know nothing about this racist terrorism happening around us. Is, is, isn't is that the case?
3: Well, so the Know Nothing Party precedes this by like a couple decades. The Know Nothings were called – it's funny, they were labeled that by their opponents and they kind of just took on the label, but – in the case of the of the clan, you know, these are largely younger men in their twenties and early thirties. Um, they are, you know, they dress up in costumes to scare people um, and to create some ironic distance between what they're doing and um, and who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of think that that ironic distance is necessary for people to be able to. Um, Commit the violent acts and, and 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 have that not conflict with their sense of self. Um, so I don't. Th- I just. I think that's gonna. Ugh. I don't see that really changing. There's like a really interesting psychology here um, about why people, you know, adopt irony and and memes and such when 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 doing this this sort of stuff. But the, I think the the key thing is that it's not unique um, to the alt right. Uh, and it's just sort of a part, I think it's a part of these kind of movements.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. I, I just found it so crazy to see on Saturday. Maybe it's just, I can't get in this mindset, um, which is, which is good, I guess. But, to see all these people going out there and you know they could tell they were getting photographed and their faces were right out there. So it's been really interesting to watch them, a lot of them getting kind of identified and that whole hunt to see who they are and people losing their jobs and their families disavowing them and stuff. Uh,
2: yeah, why and, and an they're crying thing about to it. Watch. They're crying about it. Like did <laughs> you see people taking your picture?
3: I mean so I you know I, there's been a little conversation about whether or not that is appropriate, whether or not one should, um, you know, dock someone or, or have them lose their job for participating in this stuff. Uh, I am of the opinion that this is good, um, that there ought to be consequences for uh, publicly advocating for the elimination of entire groups of people, and I think we would have a we would be better along in dealing with racism if. Uh, ordinary people, ordinary white people specifically, uh, confronted this stuff in their everyday lives. Um, you know, lots of people hold racist attitudes. Lots of pe- people say racist things. And oftentimes they're ignored or uh, shrugged away as just kind of, oh, that's just, you know, that's just how he is, just how she is. And I think actually confronting it and making it clear that it's socially ex- unacceptable and that it comes with consequences. Whether it's severed relationships or lost jobs is important. Um, it's important to building a decent society.
2: So President Trump has triple and like quadrupled down on his rhetoric in the wake of you know repeated condemnations. And and there's been some polling that finds people generally uh, do agree or you know, share his belief that you know maybe you don't really need to take down Confederate statues that maybe they are Important to history, uh, but I wondered if that is just like a latent attitude that would, you know, in light of political political polarization and people's strong dislike of Trump, that that would change now. Uh, and we even even see people become more tolerant of the Confederate flag since two years ago. But but I was I wonder if if uh, that's likely to change given how unpopular Trump himself is.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, th- those um, those polls are sort of taken in, uh, or those surveys are taken kind of before this, um, or a substan- substantial percentage of the cohort that was sampled um, is before these events. And so, I think as this, be- frankly, as this becomes partisan, uh, you'll see opinions shift. Um, I think in polarize. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's probably likely to change. Um but just good and bad, you know, like the percentage of people who think they need to come down will likely go up, but the percentage of people who are like no they should stay up will likely also go up.
2: Uh all right. Well Jamel Bowie from Slate.com, thanks so much for joining us, Elise Foley. Thanks for being in the studio with me. Uh
6: Welcome back to So That Happened. I'm Lily Workna, Black Voices Senior Editor, and I'm here with Chris Mathias, National Reporter at HuffPost, who was down in Charlottesville on Friday, uh, and covering the mayhem that unfolded. Uh, Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, you did some really incredible, powerful reporting down on the ground in Charlottesville, um, capturing the scene and reporting it live on Twitter and also in some really powerful pieces that you published on site. Um, and I encourage all of you to go check those out. But I do want to hear from you while we have the time now to talk about what it was like being there on the ground um, amid, you know— Oh, dozens of white supremacists, KKK members, white, uh, you know, alt-right supporters, um, and neo-Nazis who were blatantly, uh, you know, defending white power um, and threateningly doing so. Um, so let's start with Friday. What was it like when you got on the ground and what happened?
1: Yeah, sure. So the rally was scheduled for Saturday, but on Friday night, um, we got there early and we uh, I went to a church service with a bunch of interfaith activists. And it was really moving and it was really pretty. Um, Cornell West was there. Um, uh,
6: Tracy Blackman was there, yeah. Tra-
1: Tracy Blackman brought the house down. Mm-hmm. And she gave an incredible sermon. Um, and, I, th- you know, everyone was feeling pretty good in that church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then almost immediately, and basically the whole church service was about, like, how are we going to prepare as a community to, mm-hmm. you know, Stop these white supremacists from invading our town and doing what they want.
6: Mm-hmm. So um, people at the church knew that what was happening Saturday. Oh, were very really well aware.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole service was about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was standing room only. And um, they that that old spiritual "Wade in the Water." They they rewrote for um, with lyrics including Charlottesville and talking about the alt right. Um, it was it was really powerful. Um, <clears throat> but almost immediately afterwards is when, uh, you know, Richard Spencer and his, like, you know, Nazi fuckboys started marching mm-hmm. um, and with torches around the the campus. Mm. And so I had actually gone back to the hotel and I didn't know about the torch march yet, uh, that, but then we heard it was happening, so we ran back over mm. and we got there just after um, the, the Nazis had attacked a small group of student counter-protesters oh. at, in UVA's campus. They had been uh, surrounding in a human chain, the Jefferson Memorial. Basically, you know, just chanting Black Lives Matter. And what the Nazis did is they circled them, uh, hundreds of them, hmm. uh, hoarding torches. The small group of protesters and then attacked them. Wow. Um, and uh, I ended up hanging out with a group of counter protesters who had been pepper sprayed and they were treating um themselves for pepper spray. Um, but they were they didn't like journalists and. They didn't want anybody to be photographed because they're basically worried that like, if they're identified in a photo, they'll get doxxed by the alt-right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of went from a, for, to a distance to take a group photo, like mm-hmm. you know, maybe 40 yards away. Mm-hmm. And at that point, when they saw me doing that, about <clears throat> five or six guys uh, charged up the hill at me and threatened to beat the shit out of me. Wow. And then a, a woman grabbed a holster on her hip and threatened to shoot me. Um, so, <sighs> so I got the fuck out of there. Um, and at that point... <laughs> after um, Andy Campbell, who was down there with me, and he's a great reporter. Absolutely. Um, at that point, uh, we knew that Saturday was going to be bad. Pretty bad, yeah. because yeah, if, if it was already going to be that tense on Friday night, then... Mm-hmm.
6: Um, the momentum had already picked up. Right. Yeah, I was. I um, talked to somebody who was a Black Lives Matter organizer who was at that same church service, um, oh, and Reverend right. Tracy Blackman also went on air and talked about um, what it was like being at that church service and them feeling. Um, he told me that he, the Black Lives Matter organizer, that they were held hostage inside the church for about 30 minutes, and they were told that they shouldn't leave and couldn't leave. And right. the, when they did, they couldn't go out the front doors out of fear um, from the threats that were posed to them by you know the militiamen and KKK members outside. Right. Um, and so had to disperse through the back door um, and, you know, they both echoed that it felt reminiscent of the 60s. It was, and- it was,
1: it was. Not, I felt like I was in a different, I mean, I, I, I saw the Nazis march past the church mm-hmm. and there was like, because they had volunteer security at the church for this whole thing. Right. Um, and basically the state police after the melee in, in the campus uh, basically stayed in the middle of the street and counter protesters were on one side and the Nazis were on the other side and the Nazis were walking past the church. Um, screaming shit, like you know you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. Um,
6: white lives matter.
1: white lives matter and blood and soil. and they were harassing, like yelling shit at the people outside mm-hmm. the church mm-hmm. um,
6: and so, engaging in violence. You said they were they were sort of rallied around the group of students as right, well.
1: right, exactly. I mean, that yeah, exactly. yeah, so they they did that as well. Um, yeah.
6: Wow. So this all happened Friday night. Um, uh-huh. And so you're, you know, you, you you wake up Saturday and I'm sure you're anticipating, you know, a lot of fear and, and you're feeling a lot of concern of what's to come. So talk to me about how the day unfolded on Saturday.
1: Sure. So Andy and I caught up with a group of counter protesters at about seven in the morning. Who uh, gathered for a march to a park not too far away from Lee Park, where the rally was set to happen, and there they basically just kind of did speeches and like, you know, got ready for the day. Um, and then Andy and I went over to Lee Park and were surprised to see uh, already maybe like forty or fifty uh, militia men with semi-automatic rifles there. Um, and <clears throat> and the rally wasn't supposed to start until noon, but around nine thirty. Um, Nazis started showing up uh, and going going into the park. They were eager. Oh, dude! Every, eager. Yeah, they were they were eager. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it was very moving. the The group of clergy from the church, about forty or fifty of them, actually marched ha- um, with linked arms mm-hmm. up to the park in perfect silence and stood face to face with the militiamen um, oh. silently, and then uh, in a line. Uh, and took turns uh, saying prayers and uh, singing, like you know, this little light of mine and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> but kind of any peaceful protests uh, became a moot point after a certain amount of time, because so many Nazis started to show up and they were being so antagonistic. And then the counter protesters were also started to show up in mass, and it was really poorly designed because uh, there was only two entrances to the park, mm-hmm. and. Um, in order to get to the park, the Nazis had to walk through a gauntlet of counter protesters. Mm-hmm. So naturally, skirmishes started to start.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, everybody had pepper spray, uh, tear gas. Uh, I saw a dude with a taser. Um,
6: were these counter protesters or the uh, or the, the, the KKK supremacists?
1: Them, both. I mean, I both sides were using pepper spray, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually weird. Like pepper spray, probably save some people from getting really hurt mm-hmm. on Saturday because every time there'd be a really big skirmish uh, or, or fight um, you know, where people were throwing fists or throwing rocks and all that stuff um, someone would just shoot a bunch of pepper spray into the air and it would just disperse mm-hmm. and then it, that was the cycle for two hours wow. two and a half hours where you know the two sides would come together and it'd be like open combat mm-hmm. with people swinging bats and throwing rocks and throwing fists and wow. um, and then someone would either throw tear gas or spray, you know, pepper spray into the air. Everybody would start coughing. I, I me and Andy both got got pepper sprayed, and uh, Andy actually got raw sewage thrown all over him. Oh
6: my god!
1: It um, was like
6: a real life battlefield.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was absolutely crazy, um, and it's. Uh, Andy and I both agreed afterwards that we just didn't understand why the cops didn't step in earlier mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and you know and to a larger point which I think we've talked about mm-hmm. um, you know I literally saw uh, you know I, eventually at noon when the governor declared a state of emergency and, cl- and cleared the park I literally saw Nazis um, pushing riot cops like a phalanx like you know a line of Nazis right. pushing back against riot cops and the
6: cops did.
1: They backed up. Mm-hmm. And had this, I mean, it's just crazy when we think about Ferguson now. Absolutely. And compare it to. Double
6: standards at play, right? Yeah.
1: It's, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Right. Um, I
6: mean, across the board in almost every way. And we're talking about, uh, you know, not only police presence and how they treated, you know. Uh, white supremacists there in comparison to Black Lives Matter protesters, but also in Trump's response and politicians' response and entire framing of Charlottesville. Right. uh, You know, it's pretty glaring.
1: Yeah, and I mean Trump's press conference um, on Tuesday I mean, it was like one of the most despicable things I've I've ever watched and and, um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of experts and to Nazis themselves and they when they see a speech like that they're emboldened and, and they they know they have an ally in the white house and they will march again and they'll mm-hmm. there. you know there could be another charlottesville right. it could be even worse than charlottesville because it, it's also it's hard to overstate how many fucking guns were at this thing hmm. like so many guns um I know you, you talked to uh, DeAndre Harris.
6: Yeah, I did. And I wanted you to talk about that as, a bit as well because, uh, you know, talking about the lack of police presence there on, on Saturday um, and how counter protests were treated. You know, there were people who were assaulted and beaten by these supremacists and people right. at the rally, um, specifically uh, counter protesters who were there or, you know, um, and people of color are, are very much, much uh, visible and vulnerable targets. Right. Um, and so there were at least two cases of black men who were uh, beaten, brutally beaten and assaulted. Um, one was um, DeAndre Harris, a 20 year old who uh, was surrounded by a group. I don't know if you were there to witness I, I was that. was there. Yeah. Recap that. What was that like watching that? Yeah.
1: So I had followed basically. um, DeAndre uh, was with uh, another like a group of friends, um, all of whom were black, and they were doing a good job at escorting the Nazis away uh, Mm -hmm. from the park, and basically just following them as they marched away. And just, um, I mean, I'd be fucking pissed off too. Mm -hmm. And they were and they were and they were yelling at them. And then um, we were marching past a, a parking garage and. I don't know how exactly it started, but it ended in, you know, three white dudes uh, beating the shit out of uh, of, of him. Um, and kind of in the melee, um, I looked up and somebody had pulled a pistol out and was pointing it at everybody. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so and the men who
6: were beating him were beating him with metal poles. Right. And I, this was also right by a police.
1: Oh, Lily, I, I walked out of the parking garage and there was twenty cops there just standing. Yeah. Okay, I think it was the sheriff's office, but they were literally standing in the line and people were screaming at them like, like do, something. do something. Um and they didn't do anything. Um okay. the
6: disregard and, for black lives. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was it, like a fight literally broke out in front of them on the street as well and they did nothing. Wow. Um
6: what was what why do you think the case was that way? Why do you think police did not respond and what what were reactions from people on the ground when they saw police being so
1: i mean we both saw back at the park um when like during kind of the open combat session the two and a half hours where it was just crazy um i saw people like run up to the metal barricades there there were cops around the park Mm -hmm. they just weren't doing anything right so they i saw multiple people run up to this gate and just be like do something do something right and they did they did nothing um And you know, I'm sure they have their defense for that. Um,
6: They always have a defense, right?
1: Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is yet, right? Um, But there's, there's just got to be a better way. Absolutely. Yeah.
6: Can you talk about? We have to acknowledge the death of Heather Heyer um, and the car crash that happened, terrorist attack, um, and him driving, the terrorist driving a car and plowing it through this crowd of protesters. Were you there? Did you witness that happen? And if not, can you talk about reactions that happened afterwards?
1: Sure. Um, We weren't there. We had walked through that area Mm -hmm. um, after the parking garage, Uh, but that happened maybe 30 minutes or an hour after we had walked through there um and then we heard about it and went back out um and met a a, a young man uh who uh, who was there um and was absolutely hysterical um and his like friends couldn't console him and he could barely talk and he, and the only thing he could really muster was like he said like it was like a cloud like a cloud of bodies like mm-hmm. like going up into the air oh. um and and then later we went to um, at the site of the crash is where they had a big memorial, um, and they did uh, you know flowers in the shape of a heart and sang songs and you know at, they kind of had different iterations throughout the day. At some point, it would just be you know fifty people standing around holding hands in perfect silence. Mm-hmm. At other times, people would um, give speeches. Uh, Marcus Martin, who mm-hmm. was hit by the car and broke his leg, um,
6: he threw his he got his fiance out the way to save. Yeah, that's her right. Life.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, was at the was at the memorial mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of talked about why this isn't being described as a terror attack or, or a hate crime.
6: So Charlottesville happened. Mm-hmm. Trump gave his response. He gave multiple responses, but ultimately defended. Uh, the white supremacists at the rally um, and blaming it again on both sides uh, saying that there are good people within both groups and they're technically and if we're factually speaking there are no such thing as there is no such thing as a good Nazi or a good white supremacist Those, yeah. it just does not exist um, and you've gone to several of these um, you know white supremacist led rallies um, and there are more to come and I'm sure you'll continue to cover them mm. what how do you think that they will unfold going forward. Like, how do you think these protests, these white supremacist led rallies now who are, you know, these folks who are now emboldened more by Trump and his comments um, in support of them, what do you think will happen next? And are you fearful at all?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very fearful. Um, cause Andy and I have been covering this for a bit and we are you know, and at each of these rallies, people are showing up angrier and much more heavily armed. It's a miracle. No one got shot. Um, in Charlottesville on Saturday. Um, And I'm really worried that that'll happen at the next rally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And basically, it's a vicious cycle because, you know, because we had a fatality and so many people got injured. um, The tensions are just going to be that much higher. And um, some people, you know, Antifa, what have you, might, you know, the experts I've talked to say they might be go out looking for revenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, You have the other side, the Nazis, being even more emboldened by the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I hope it doesn't get worse. Um, I think there's a possibility it will, Um, but it's also—I don't know. Well, we'll just have to see.
6: Yeah, it's easy to feel defeated in these sort of moments, you know, and feel discouraged and you know, Trump's comments just serve as another reminder of yeah. uh, the reality that we live right. in now and how crazy uh, the times are.
1: Right. Um, and uh, I I want to make clear too, like there was no good fine people as he said in that right. park. Right. I was at that park. Everybody in that park was a white supremacist. Absolutely. And if there w- and no good person of conscience would stand in that park. Absolutely. Even um even if they didn't consider themselves a white supremacist or a Nazi, no one would have stand in stood in that park. the The things they were chanting, the the like, I, were just remarkable. The hate that was being the, the espoused, hate, yeah,
6: absolutely. Well, it's just important that we continue to denounce them and to highlight these acts when they do happen. Thank, thank you so much, Chris. This was a very, I mean, heartbreaking, but also very powerful um, discussion. And I think this is, I'm glad that we're having it. And I'm thankful for you for being on the ground and doing such a great job reporting. So thank you for your time.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Lily.
6: This is So That Happened, and we'll be right back.
2: And we're back. This is Arthur Delaney, and I'm joined in studio by our money and politics expert, Paul Blumenthal. Hello, Arthur. Hello, money and politics. I wanted to talk about Mike Pence's money in politics, which apparently he has a lot of, which has people wondering, "What are you doing, Mike Pence? What are you up to, Mike Pence? Are you gonna... So what? Are you gonna be be president?
0: So what? Mike Pence is up to is he uh, started a political action committee, uh, which is quite odd. For a sitting vice president during the first year of the presidency that he's a part of, curious. Uh, yeah, it is quite curious. He's already raised over five hundred thousand um, dollars. Big number, mostly from donors from his home state of Indiana. Uh, but but it's just uh, it's it's never been done before. The previous vice presidents that we've known in in the modern campaign finance era have not started political action committees at the beginning of the first term of a presidency. So right?
2: Though it is normal for a vice president to want the presidency. I mean that's the whole reason people take vice president yeah, because they they want to maybe get in there.
0: It, that, that is normally how we think about it even though very, very few vice presidents – have actually moved on to the presidency by election after a two-term presidency. It's it's basically like John Adams and George H.W. Bush, but most of them want to become president one day. I mean that's why they take the job, except for maybe Dick Cheney. So, um, so does and, and so they they raise money and usually at the end of a second term, yeah. of a successful or successfully re-elected presidency. But this just this hasn't happened in the first term in the first year of a presidency before Mike Pence is, uh, you know, he's really going out there on his own doing what nobody's done before here.
2: And he's not the. there are other Republicans talking openly about how Donald Trump sucks, and we should have a different guy. You know, William Crystal, the, the uh, political kingmaker and various elected officials have talked about how their current president may not be ideal for future elections.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of Republican elites out there who didn't like Trump when he ran for president. I mean, he broke through in a in a 16 person field in 2016, and a lot of people opposed him. And a lot of people still do. Uh, Less so maybe at the grassroots level of the the Republican base, but definitely more so among, you know, the punditocracy here in Washington, DC, who stick with this, uh, you know, they're they're never Trump. Hashtag never
2: Trump. Um, but uh, Trump himself has given no indication that he would not like a second term. Well, he, he's already got a committee I mean, of his own.
0: President Trump is the earliest person to ever declare for re election. I mean, he declared for re election on Inauguration Day. <laughs> no president has ever done that before. So, I mean, that's. His own big deal. And, and I, I mean, part of the reason why he did that is because it allows him to raise money and spend that money on these big rallies. You know, he's going to Phoenix to give a speech next Tuesday, the day after uh, the full solar eclipse occurs. <laughs> um we'll see how that goes the mayor of phoenix has already asked him not to come but you know they're using campaign funds to pay for these speeches so he can go out and see his supporters and not be surrounded by the fake news and the globalist deep state
2: right well they partly do it for his mental health like look people like you it's okay like everyone's cheering
0: yeah i mean he he needs that kind of positive reinforcement just like a four-year-old
2: it's also he himself said that it's his primary form of exercise besides golf
0: Yes, he's very. he has very high stamina. He's very strong, uh, very fit, young man of 71.
2: He's one of the older presidents we've got. Uh, he, he was
0: the oldest elected president uh, we've ever had. He beat Ronald Reagan as the oldest elected president.
2: So, uh, you know, no one's talking about that fact. Uh, you know, that would be rude to speculate about his Well, his most health.
0: vice presidents who have gone on to become president... Became president because the president they served under died. Oh no! Oh, this is rude. I mean, this oh, is dear. this is true. You know, I mean, John Tyler, Millard Fillmore, uh, Chester A. Arthur, even Teddy Roosevelt.
2: Now there is uh, there is President Harry Truman uh, for a uh, you know a, uh, LBJ. Uh, now LBJ is interesting because he did not run for re-election after his after the first time he'd won. During an abbreviated, uh, like yeah, math I think term.
0: I think that he wanted to run in in '68, but had sort of been drummed out because of the Vietnam War was so unpopular with the Democratic base.
2: Right, the party didn't want him. Yeah, a- and there was a massively unpopular thing that his administration was doing. So I, I, I wondered if uh, if if you think that could be. Something we'll be looking at with Trump three years from now.
0: I mean, I think it's entirely possible that another Republican figure could run against him. I mean, you see Ohio Governor John Kasich out there routinely bashing Trump, saying this isn't what the Republican Party stands for. Uh, You know, his political operation is still ongoing. He's term-limited out of uh, office as the Ohio governor in 2018, and so he'll have two years to run around the country. And, you know, we've seen sitting presidents who are unpopular, who uh, had serious problems with their political party, face primary challengers. I mean, it happened in two elections in a row. In 1976, Gerald Ford faced a primary challenge from Ronald Reagan, and he almost lost the nomination. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter... Faced a primary challenge from Ted Kennedy, and it was very close and very contentious. Both of them, possibly due to you know the primary challenge that that damaged their standing with the base, lost re-election.
2: Now, there's been a lot of wishful thinking about what Trump might do from people who hate his guts. Like during the uh, primary, people thought, well, he didn't really want to win. And uh, people said, you know, he he doesn't really want this nomination. He'll just give up and drop out. And that all proved to be wrong.
0: Yeah, I don't think that Trump is a is big on on quitting on on taking his ball and going home. As you know, he he's no uh, Sarah Palin, I guess. You know, who, who quit the governorship because she just, you know, she didn't like how it was going and wanted to go make money being a rea- reality TV shows, show star. Uh, you know, he's already done that. He's still running his multi-billion dollar business and making a lot of money off of the presidency. Why would he quit now?
2: It's hard to imagine him, if you know, if there were an election right now, uh, which is impossible to really talk about since we haven't had a campaign, but he's really unpopular. He's got uh, the, the lowest approval rating at this point in his term of any Yep, first That's term true. president uh,
0: And I, I mean he was also really unpopular During the campaign uh, Which people should remember I mean maybe one of the things that helped him Is Hillary Clinton was equally as unpopular Yeah uh, You know when you have two of the most unpopular Political figures in the country Running for election uh, I guess it's a, a coin flip
2: Yeah well we'll have to see what happens Paul thanks for coming in here And dropping your money and politics knowledge
0: Thanks for having me
2: Arthur We'll be right back So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. Thanks to him for producing a segment out of New York this week. I'm Arthur Delaney, and we were joined in this episode by Jamel Bowie, Chief Political Correspondent for Slate.com, as well as HuffPost reporters Lily Workner, Christopher Mathias, and Elise Foley, and Paul Blumenthal. So That Happened is available on Apple Podcasts. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to happened at huffpost.com. I will personally respond. Thanks to all of you for listening and see you later.